this is another episode i'm your host esperance um so this is part two of misquoted bible verses and the first one that we're going i'm going to uh be talking about is first chronicles 16:22. it says um touch not my anointed ones do my prophets no harm it can also be found in psalm 105 verse 15 so most of the time like you hear this um verse when people are like defending uh prophets or men of god and by people i mean like they are followers or something like that especially like when they have done something wrong or they have said something which is not um i would say biblical in, in a way and so they tend to like defend them and they quote um this um verse saying touch my anointed ones to my prophets no harm and things like that um i'm not saying that <laughs> we are to speak ill of uh men of god or prophets and things like that i'm not saying that but let's first look at the context of this verse and then draw out the meaning out of the, the, the text and not us implying the meaning or putting the in, meaning into the text well first of all first chronicles 16 we read that this is after like um the ark of a uh, covenant the common year is brought back by david king david to Jerusalem and he puts it in a tent that he had prepared and after that there's a whole celebration and they are musicians and people singing and David sings this song so it starts in verse in verse 8 and he sings it's actually a song so that is why it can also be found in Psalm 105 and he sings this song to the Lord praising God and I'm going to read from verse 14 it says he is the lord our god his judgments are all in the earth uh, his judgments are in all the earth remember his covenant forever the word that he commanded for a thousand generations the covenant that he made with abraham his sworn promise to isaac which he confirmed to jacob as a statute to israel as an everlasting covenant saying to you i will give you the land of canaan as your portion for an inheritance when you were few in number of little account and sojourners in it wandering from nation to nation from one kingdom to another to, to another people he allowed no one to oppress them he rebuked kings on their account saying touch not my anointed ones do my prophets no harm so from this read that um david speaking about the anointed ones he is talking of the israelites because he starts saying of um the covenant that god had with abraham it goes on to speak on how the israelites moved from um, how god gave the land of canaan to the israelites and how there were few numbers moving from one nation to another nation and how god um allowed no one to oppress them we know this like from their journey from egypt going through going to the to the land of canaan no other nations like could like fought them in any way no nobody like oppressed them and so 
says that he allowed no one to oppress them, meaning God allowed nobody to oppress the Israelites, and he rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Remember um, King Balak of Moab, when the Israelites were uh, going to the land of Canaan, he tried to use uh, Balaam to curse them, but Balaam ended up blessing them. And um, he said that no no one can curse who God has blessed. So in the context of this verse, you see that it's talking about the Israelites as the anointed ones who, um, and that is who David is talking about as the anointed ones. And if we want to apply this verse today, it would not only be applied to um, to just, I would say, men of God or so, because the word anointed here can we would have to like first look at it in context, like just what we did, and it's also great to to uh, note here. Most of the times when uh, the Bible speaks of like anointed. Sometimes it's speaking of like priests and kings who were anointed or consecrated for God, or like for God's work. However, in the context of this, we see that the word anointed is used to speak of the nation of Israel or the patriarchs and so on, <clears throat> to, like the nation of Israel as a whole. And so in this sense, it's not really applying to the priests and prophets and kings only. It's applying to them since this is before, um, like, well, if we read that, this is before, like, the whole priests and prophets and, 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 I would say priests and prophets, yeah, and the whole uh, king, kings and things come in place. So, speaking of anointed here, it's in it's speaking of the nation of Israel or as a people who have been chosen by God and who have been consecrated as God's people, God's nation. They are to love God and worship God and follow Him only. And this can also be extended to Christians today. If we are looking at this verse in its context, it can also be extended to Christians today, not, necess- not necessarily only to um, pastors or um, prophets and people who like like that, but also to Christians today because we are now also God's chosen people who He has chosen to. First Peter, First um, Peter chapter two, verse nine says it very well. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10 says, once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we see that um, we have been chosen as God's people. We are now his people for his own possession we have now become a chosen race or a priest to the whole nation and this is um 
how we can apply this to us Christians today as anointed people or like a chosen race or a people that has been chosen by God because in anointed ones in, in the first chronicles 16 22 it meant that they were chosen they were consecrated like God's people to like chosen amongst other nations to be God's people and so this is what has happened to us Christians today who believe those who believe in Christ we are now God's chosen ones and so we can easily now interpret this verse if we want and not only apply it in the sense of just um, priests and kings and things like that or like today we would say uh, pastors and prophets and all those things all those people I would like to also point a problem that we have today of idolizing church leaders and pastors to a point where um, like it leads us to first of all not seeing even the the false or when they are questioned about their teachings or their leadership or things like that we tend to often like take the stance of touching on my anointed one that's one way it can go the other way it can go is when people when, when um they are questioned some people might be like oh well i didn't know that my my my, my church leader or my pastor could do this or could say this or what what what, what. and people are like i'm going to leave church i'm going to uh, i'm no longer a christian what things like that the thing is church leaders are also human beings pastors are also human beings prophets are also human beings they are not exempt from faults the fact that they're not exempt from faults they're not exempt from uh, sin they're also human beings just like any one of us means that we are to have god and his word as our standard and not uh, our pastors or prophets or uh, church leaders as that they are also human beings they can also fall and that is the truth so we should rely more on God and his word than um, this this people yes they are vessels for God yes they are there to lead his church but not to the point where we idolize them and put them above God thing that I want to point out is that God can also use can use anyone. We don't have to rely on our pastors on Sundays to come and teach us the word of God. We have the Bible for a reason for us to study the word of God. This is the problem that we have most of the like we have most of the time is that we don't read the word of God. So when people speak or when we hear so many different preachers speak, we take all these different words and we and we hear them but we are not able to discern what is true and what is not true this is why as christians it's our responsibility to study the word not for our pastors yet to, to come and teach us the word when or open the bible only on sunday when the pastor is teaching no there is a reason why we have to study the word for ourselves for us to, to build ourselves and to not also be swayed by so many different messages the next verse is matthew 22 39 but i'll start on 34 
It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The big misconception about this verse is that uh, people tend to like interpret it saying that Jesus essentially like you have yes Jesus says that you have to love your neighbors you love yourself but you ha- how can you love your neighbor if you don't love yourself so you have to first love yourself and then you can love your neighbor so the presupposition is that you have to love yourself so you can love your neighbor but this is wrong because we see that Jesus is not saying that you are to love yourself Jesus is saying that you already love yourself he is assuming in this context that you already love yourself and this is true he is making a comparison say as yourself which means that the comparison a comparison is made when there is like a standard to compare it with so the comparison here the standard here is yourself or myself Oftentimes, people who uh, promote self-love use this verse and interpret it this way. But as I said, self-love in this con- in this text is assumed. So Jesus is like saying, "You already love yourself. So as you love yourself, you love your neighbor." The thing is, innately, like naturally, we love ourselves naturally. Everyone is looking out for themselves. Naturally, we are born. Nobody wants uh, bad things in their lives. Everybody desires good. Everybody desires happiness. Everybody wants good for themselves. So even if we might not um, feel good about ourselves or feel like uh, we have confidence or things like that, naturally, we all want to... uh, feel good or have good things we nobody loves pain or suffering or things like that no one does that and if we are going through situations like where we don't feel good about ourselves most of the time we try to go to extreme lengths to um relieve ourselves of those feelings of those emotions and the way we can go about that can be different some people can go to um can go through de- dangerous means to try and relieve themselves of the, their pain. Other people will turn to the idea of loving themselves or putting themselves first and all these different things. And others try to find it in um, other people. The truth of the matter is, even if I don't feel good about myself, I don't want to feel that way. I want to feel good about myself and I will try and do what I can to feel good about myself and that is why I say that the ways I can go about it is different biblically speaking I would not suggest putting yourself first and all this idea of self-love because I see a problem with it one of the problems that 
it can bring out is the problem of idolizing yourself or self-worship or the it can lead to like a self-centered uh life or self-centered uh personality where everything is about yourself and you don't even and you don't even put other people's interests first which is the opposite of what the bible speaks like when the bible speaks of love it's kind of like softness we see how god or jesus is the example of this love came down left glory left heaven all to come and save us and he instructs us to love others just as he has loved us to also love others we are to uh put others first put other people's interests first and not think highly of ourselves we can read that in philippians chapter 2 verse 3 so when we when uh, i see a problem with this kind of like uh thing of loving yourself and putting yourself first and and all those um messages of self-love because it can be problematic to the point where people tend to worship themselves and live a self-centered life however however that does not mean that we have to hate ourselves so the answer to our problems of anxiety and security not not feeling good about ourselves doesn't come from ourselves it does not come from us trying to love ourselves more not really um we have to stop relying on ourselves and thinking that we have the answer to everything when we know that god does if we rely on him and put our insecurities and our fears in him and trust in him and know that christ jesus who has died for me has made me a child of god knowing all of this should motivate me to love god more and to love others more and the misconception that i have to first learn to love myself how long will that take how long will that be and in the meantime as i am uh, learning to love myself what happens to the people's other people's interests what happens to um people in my life and all, all of that so naturally we love ourselves that we cannot deny that is in us naturally we love we all want what is good for ourselves we all want um to feel happy and and, and things like that but god shows us that we are to love others as we love ourselves the same way that i desire good for myself is the same way that i should desire good for other people so we should put other people's interests first we should um definitely love others uh, as we love ourselves and so in conclusion the verse is not saying that um we can only love others when we have learned to love ourselves Jesus is not commanding us to love ourselves. Jesus is commanding us to love others as ourselves. So the thing is we have we it's assumed that we already love ourselves. That's a thing naturally we love ourselves. So we ought to love others.